2012 Olympics just happened. You know, when I was a kid, I lived with my grandfather for a while, and I have very fond memories of watching the Olympics on this old TV. And I remember seeing Nadia Kamenich. Anybody know that name? I think she was the first gymnast to be awarded a perfect 10 for her uh, routine. And I especially remember because there was a, a theme song written for her called Nadia's Theme. And my sisters would play it on piano just about every day, many times a day. So I remember that song. So I guess I really was inspired to compete in the Olympics. And I, I've always wanted to do that. And I thought 2012 <laughs> might be a good opportunity for me. And I've been watching them over the years. The only problem is I haven't found any events that I feel I can compete in. I had a couple in mind, but so far I haven't seen lawn mowing in in the list. I mean, can you see it? Can you see it? They give every nation an acre of uncut grass, full tank of gas. USA, go! Oh, that mulching blade is using to give them a real clean cut. Wait a minute, here comes Russia. They've got a 42-inch mower deck. I think they're taking the lead. <laughs> Haven't seen it yet. Weed whacking. Come on, any dads would like to compete in that? Give you a mile of sidewalk with grass on both sides. and then <sighs> Didn't come up this year. I watched. How many people watch the uh, Olympic uh, opening ceremonies? How many people watch the opening ceremonies? Yeah, it was estimated that one billion people were watching the opening ceremonies on on TV. That's a lot of people. We're not talking about like 10 or 12 million or 50 million or 175 million or 300 million or 650 million or 850 million. We're talking about a thousand million, a billion people. That's a lot of people. What is it about the Olympics that makes the world want to watch. Whether you realize it or not, there's something that every human being has in common. And that's a God-given desire inside to become more than what we are. Or than to, to, to go beyond where we are. To develop our potential to the fullness. It's in all of us. We were not made to stay the same. We were made to grow, to increase, to expand, and to go higher. And if you'll just set your mind on Him, I want you to know that God has new levels for you. Higher heights for you. Greater greats for you. That's how we're made. We're not made to stay the same. And if you're not increasing or expanding, you'll be frustrated and you may not even know why. So what's an Olympic athlete's goal? What are they going for? Going for the goal, right? Now, do you ever think about what that gold medal represents? I mean, the gold medal itself is really not what they're working for, but they're working for what it symbolizes, the successful development of their potential. 
when they put that around their neck, it's an outward sign of the years of commitment and devotion and development that they have been, that they've gone through. They have successfully developed their potential to a world champion level. Can I tell you that God has a gold medal for you? Now, this gold medal is the ultimate medal. It's your destiny. You can take all the gold medals, all the silver and all the bronze in the 2012 Olympics and the 2008 and all the way back to the first games. You can take all the sports championship world trophies with the World Cup, the Kentucky Derby, the World Series, Stanley Cup, put them all together since the, since the first championship. And you can take the value of those trophies and awards. And if you'll compare them to what God has for you, dumb. Dumb. Not diminishing any accomplishments, but only what we do for Christ will last. I believe some of, the, some of the athletes were doing what they did for Christ. But wouldn't that be something to come to the end of your life and have a, a neck full of gold medals and you stand before Christ and all of a sudden they burn and you have nothing because you did what you did not for Him. That's not us, right? <clears throat> the title of tonight's message is Run to Win. Can you say that with me? Run to win. Say it again. Run to win. What are we talking about? We're talking about you fulfilling your destiny. We're talking about you personally living your life in such a way that the fulfillment of your destiny is guaranteed. You say, how do I do that? By making your determined purpose in life to know Christ more every day. Stay with me and let's open up our Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 9. <clears throat> 1 Corinthians chapter 9. And I want to start in verse 23. This is Paul the Apostle talking. A champion. And I do all things, everything he does, all things I do for the sake of the gospel, that I may become a fellow partaker of it. Do you not know that those who run in a race all run, but only one receives the prize? Run in such a way that you may win. And everyone who competes in the games exercises self-control in all things. They then do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. Therefore I run in such a way as not without aim. I box in such a way as not beating the air, but I buffet my body and make it my slave, lest possibly after I have preached to others I myself should be disqualified. I want to read it to you out of the message translation. Paul said, I do all things, or I did all this, everything I do, because of the message. I didn't just want to talk about it. I wanted to be in on it. You've all been to the stadium and seen the athletes race. Everyone runs, one wins, run 
to win. Let's say that together. Run to win. One more time. Run to win. All good athletes train hard. That's just what they do. They do it for a gold medal that tarnishes and fades. You're after one that's gold eternally. I don't know about you, but I'm running hard for the finish line. I'm giving it everything I've got. No sloppy living for me. I'm staying alert and in top condition. I'm not going to get caught napping telling everyone else all about it and then missing out myself. Run to win. How does a runner run to win? There's a very simple two-part answer to that. First, a runner runs to win by having a clear and a definite goal. A clear and a definite goal. Now, let's say my goal was to be the gold medalist in the marathon in the 2016 Olympics. Well, where do I start? The first thing I want to know, well, how fast did the gold medalist run it this time? Right? It's like two hours and five minutes something. And then I, want to, then I want to know, what's the world record? Two hours, three minutes, 38 seconds. Now I've got a clear, definite goal to work, work on every day, to, to, to keep my eyes on. So if the world record is two hours, three minutes, 38 seconds, and I'm, I've got four years to train, maybe I set my goal at two hours, three minutes, or two hours, two minutes, and 38 seconds. So in order to win, in order to fulfill my destiny, I've got to have a clear and a definite goal. Not just some wild, random goal. In order for my goal to be clear and definite, it's got to be measured against and built upon history. On what's gone on before me. What's gone on before me establishes a mark in my life. If I don't know and respect history, I will not fulfill my destiny. Knowing and respecting history is of great benefit to me. It enables me to get a clear and definite goal for my future if I understand what's gone on before me. I don't want to be ignorant of history. If I'm ignorant of history as a marathon runner, I might set my goal for the 2016 Olympics as five five hours. I'm going to run that marathon in five hours. And I train for four years, night and day, working on that thing. And man, I am so, I said, I've got the goal. I've got it. I'm going to run this thing in five hours. And And I'm going to be shocked when I come in dead last, me and the crickets, right? Because I was ignorant of history. I didn't know what to shoot for. I didn't know what was done before me. And I don't want to be arrogant regarding history. I don't want to uh, ignore the standard that was set before me and pretend I'm the standard. I don't want to pretend what happened before me didn't happen. I'm going to run the marathon of the 2016 Olympics in one minute flat. 60 seconds, 26.2 miles. You know, man's religion has done this. 
Man's religion has either been ignorant of the precedent set before us, Jesus Christ, or been arrogant regarding it. Ignorant where they don't know really who he is and what he's done for us. Arrogant and sometimes coming up with some bizarre doctrine of other messiahs and other gods. Man's religion. So if I'm going to run to win, I've got to have a clear and definite goal that's built upon and measured against history. I've got to understand the mark that's been set. And for the Christian, for you, a disciple of Christ, the mark that has been set, the clear and definite goal is Christ himself. So if I'm going to win, if I'm going to fulfill my destiny and become everything God's created me to be, I've got to know who Christ is. I've got to know what He's done for me and what He requires of me. Would you go to Philippians, please? Father, we thank You for Your Word tonight. We thank You for the fresh breeze of Your Holy Spirit in this house. We're mindful of Your presence. Our hearts are not dull tonight. They're they're soft and pliable in your hands. Speak to us, Lord. Change us and mold us and shape us and fashion us more so in the image of your Son. We're listening, Lord. We're not hearers only. We're doers. We thank you, Holy Spirit, for changing us tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. Philippians chapter 3, verse 14. King James says it this way, I press, it's Paul, the champion, speaking again, I press toward the mark for the prize. I press toward the mark, right? What's the mark? Jesus Christ. I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. The New American Standard says it this way, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. I like that. The upward call of God in Christ Jesus. God always wants to take you up. Higher. You may not want to take yourself higher. You may be frustrated with the mistakes that you've made, but God's not frustrated with you. And the blood of Christ has covered you. He wants to take you higher. So do God a favor and stop getting down on yourself. Jack Hayford has a rendering of verse 13 and 14 like this. Brethren, I do not count myself as having attained, but I do this one thing. Leaving what is past, I reach ardently for what is ahead in quest of that goal, which is God's high calling to Christ's likeness. So we find when we study the mark... We study the scriptures that God the Father has an upward call upon our lives to Christ's likeness. Now, none of us have attained it. None of us have achieved perfect Christ likeness in our lives. However, all of us have been called to pursue it. All of us have been called to make it our aim and to make it our focus. So we find the historic precedent has been set. So here we are. We want to run to win. We're competing. We're in the games, whether we realize it or not. So we want to, we want to look at the historic precedent and the best place to look for the, for, for the, the clearest picture of Jesus Christ you're going to find in writing is in Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and Acts. In fact, 
this this book that we're holding in our hand is full of 66 books. The New Testament is unlike any other writing in the history of the world. Do you realize just the New Testament alone has thousands upon thousands upon thousands of physical manuscripts that verify the authenticity and validity of the words that we're reading? There is no other document in any religion, in any educational institution. You can take all the classical literature, Socrates and Shakespeare and, and, and Plato combined. None of them have the, the deep historical evidence that the New Testament has. None of them. Not even close. Now, we're not talking about making this up. We're talking about archaeological Physical manuscripts, finds, that you can touch with your hands. Okay? So when we read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, we're looking at Jesus Christ. We're looking at the mark. We're looking at the historic precedent that God sent and that God set. And if I'm a marathon runner, not only do I want to find out what the world record is, but I want to know who did it. He ran that thing in two hours, three minutes, and 38 seconds. Where's he from? What did, how, did, how did he train? What did he do when he got up in the morning? What did he do throughout the day? What did he do at nighttime? What did he eat? How did he sleep? Who's his coach? you got to study the mark. Every great athlete has a, is a student of some athlete that preceded him. They watched that athlete when they were kids on TV, went to games, they studied the mark. Well, as disciples of Christ, we study Jesus Christ. We study Him. Who is He? What did He value? What did He believe? And when we study the mark... Jesus Christ. We found that intimacy with the Father was His priority. Nothing was more important than that to Him. Even as a little boy, as a young man in chapter 2 of Luke, I think it's verse 49, we see 12-year-old Jesus sitting in the temple and loving every minute of it. We see his mom and dad frantic because they don't know where he is. Searching for him for three days, the last place they look is church. Now, when they find 12-year-old Jesus, the mark, the precedent, his mother scolds him. And he, with a sincere heart, doesn't understand why. He says, why were you looking for me? Why didn't you know I would be here? You're my mother. Parents, do you know the heart of your child? Are you so full of fear and anxiety you can't even see the destiny that God has for their lives? Do you know where to find them? I've seen parent after parent so anxious over the years. And anxiety and fear will do nothing but cripple you and cloud your vision and give the enemy avenues into your life. 
So Jesus, 12-year-old Jesus, the mark and present, looks to his mother with all sincerity, with no disrespect. And he says, why were you looking for me? Didn't you know I'd be here? I must be here. I must be intimate with my father. What's important to him is top priority to me. I value him more than I value anything. I must be about his business. I must be involved in the things that he's involved in. I've got to be in church. I've got to be involved in my church. I can't just come in and go out and just pop in and pop out. I've got to be an integral working cog, an integral vital part of what's happening because intimacy with my father is my priority. Now, this 12-year-old Jesus grew in that. And we see him later on when he's in his ministry. His disciples are concerned about him because he hadn't anything to eat. And he looks at them and says, my food, my strength, what nourishes the cells of my body, what gives my being vigor and strength, what empowers me and inspires me is to please my Father, to do His will and to accomplish His work. We're studying the mark. That's in John 4.34. So when we were running to win, say it, run to win. Right? We're studying the mark. We have a clear and definite goal to be like Jesus. So we study him daily. Now I did something years ago and I highly recommend it. I read through Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and Acts straight through three times in 30 days. And I did it in the Amplified Translation. Why did I do that? Because I wanted the picture I had of Jesus to become clearer. And I recognize as far as written documents go, there is nothing better than that. I wanted to see Him move. I wanted to see Him interact with people. I wanted to see Him deal with situations. I wanted to see Him rebuke the devil. I wanted to see Him heal the sick and make the maimed whole and the lame walk and the lunatic sound. So I read through Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and Acts straight through consecutively, three times in 30 days in the Amplified Translation. After 30 days, I was so blessed and so quickened and strengthened, I did it again for another 30 days. I highly recommend it if you want your clear and definite goal to crystallize. Let's read Philippians, uh, same chapter, chapter 3. Let's back up a little bit to verse 7. But all these things, this is the living Bible, but all these things that I once thought very worthwhile. Can you think of some things off the top of your head that you think are worthwhile in your life or important or significant? Maybe some things that you identify with. But all these things that I once thought very worthwhile, now I've thrown them all away. Why? So that I can put my trust and hope in Christ alone. Yes, everything else is worthless. That's a big statement. When compared with the priceless gain of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, I put aside all else, counting it worth less than nothing. 
in order that I can have Christ and become one with Him, no longer counting on being saved by being good enough or by obeying God's laws, but by trusting Christ to save me. For God's way of making us right with Himself depends on faith, counting on Christ alone. Amen. Now I have given up everything else. I don't identify with anything else. I don't put my hope in anything else. I don't trust in anyone or anything else. I'm trusting in Him. I found, and listen to this, I have found it to be the only way to really know Christ. Big insight. <laughs> Realizing that everything else is worthless when compared to Christ is imperative if you really want to know Him. I found it to be the only way to really know Christ. So if I haven't Realize that everything else is worthless, and I haven't compared everything else to Christ. I am uh, not near intimate enough with Him. I don't really know Him like He wants me to know Him. I found it to be the only way, stay with me, to really know Christ and to experience the mighty power that brought him back to life again. This is huge. Isn't this huge? There's only one way to, to really know Christ and to experience the mighty power that brought him back to life again, and that's to realize that everything else is worthless and to make knowing him your everything. There's only one way. One way to really know him and to experience the mighty power that brought him back to life again and to find out what it means to suffer and die with him and to die with him. So whatever it takes, I will be one who lives in the fresh newness of life. I love that. Of those who are alive from the dead. Are you alive from the dead? You are. I don't mean to say I am perfect. I haven't learned all I should even yet. But I keep working toward that day when I will finally be all that Christ saved me for and wants me to be. We keep working toward that day when we will finally be all that Christ saved us for and wants us to be. Have you ever planted a tree or some cantaloupes? My daughter, Eden, we picked her first cantaloupe a couple days ago. She planted cantaloupes this year in her garden. And that thing was like this big. Haven't eaten it yet. But when you plant something, you have a vision of what it will become. Well, guess what? God did that with you. Right? He made you. And he has a vision inside himself of you. And he's working in you to bring that about. All he wants is us to cooperate with him. Isn't that wonderful? Isn't that wonderful? Now, verse 8 
and verse 10. Amplified translation. Same chapter, Philippians 3. Verse 8. Yes, furthermore. Now listen how rich and and all-encompassing this is. Yes, furthermore, I count everything as loss compared to the possession of the priceless privilege, the overwhelming preciousness, the surpassing worth and supreme advantage of knowing Christ. Would you like to be an athlete in the Olympics with a supreme advantage? You step up to the starting block and you've got a supreme advantage. Knowing Christ is a supreme advantage. The supreme advantage of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. And here it is. What does knowing Christ mean? Not knowing about Him. No, 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 no. Knowing about Him won't help you. It won't. You might get some right answers on a Sunday school test. That's about it. Knowing Him. Personal interaction with the living Messiah. An ever-growing, ever-deepening, ever-widening, ever-expanding, ever-more-intimate relationship with the living Christ. Knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, progressively becoming more deeply and intimately acquainted with Him. Perceiving, recognizing, understanding Him more fully and clearly. And here's verse 10. If we were to just state our clear and definite goal, here it is, to run to win. For my determined purpose is that I may know Him. There it is. What's my goal? To know Him. What does that mean? That I may progressively become more deeply and intimately acquainted with Him. Perceiving and recognizing and understanding the wonders of His person more strongly and more clearly. That's what we're all about. That's what Christianity is all about. Not about the sacraments, not about the Ten Commandments, not about the tablets of stone, not about the tabernacle in the wilderness. It's about progressively becoming more intimately acquainted with the wonders of Christ. Run to win. Say it with me. Run to win. Run to win. Amen. Amen. The second part of this answer. So in order to run to win, you've got to have a clear and definite goal, that clear and definite goal is to make your determined purpose in everything that you do to know Him more. And secondly and lastly, in order to run to win, I've got to have a clear and definite goal. And then I've got to order my life to fulfill that goal. I've got to discipline myself after that goal. Now, if your goal is great, your motivation and discipline will be great. And maybe you haven't realized how good it is to grow closer to Him. Don't believe the devil for a moment. Because he will tell you things that are untrue. Have you realized that yet? (laughs) He will tell you that there are some very worthwhile endeavors in this world. There are some very worthwhile endeavors, some things you could do that would be very beneficial, that would help the planet, that would help other people, that uh, would satisfy you more. 
But the truth is nothing will thrill you and satisfy you and make your mouth water like growing closer to Christ. Nothing. That's the truth. So I don't want to be bamboozled by the attempts, temptations and the shiny things of the world. We want to run to win. We've got our eyes on the mark. We know that nothing this world has to offer is can satisfy us. So my goal is not to be a great disciple of Christ. My goal is not to win 10,000 people to Christ. My goal is not to be a great pastor. My goal is not to be a great humanitarian. My goal is not to be a great husband and a great father. My determined purpose is to know Him more. All those other goals I mentioned are fine, but they won't get you there. They won't get you there. You'll get a lot of applause. Goal is not to be a CEO. Goal is not to start my own business. If you did, why did you? Why do you work where you work? Why do you do the things you do? Because I want to know Him. I don't just make. I don't just do things. We just don't fill our calendars with stuff. We have a determined purpose. Do you know, there are the things that Olympic athletes just won't do. They're not bad things, but there are things that other people could do, but an Olympic athlete would consider it a distraction. Because they've ordered their lives to fulfill this goal. And they recognize if they're going to fulfill that goal, they're going to have to cut some things out. And they're going to have to do some things they don't want to do. I saw a commercial during the Olympics, and it showed different athletes competing in different sports, and there was a voiceover of different athletes. One athlete said something like, I haven't watched TV since last summer. And they showed him throwing the discus, and he said, I've been busy. You know? So I forget what all the different ones was. I haven't been been to the mall with my friends since I can't remember. Nothing, Nothing wrong with those things. But when you have a goal, you realize, I don't have a moment to waste. 2016 is right around the corner. The return of Christ is right around the corner. I don't have a moment to waste. I don't have one moment to waste. I'm not talking about wearing yourself out. I'm talking about being full of purpose. See? Right? So, so we're not seeking balance in life. We're seeking purpose. Right? We're not trying to balance work and family. Where did that idea come from? See, when you embrace your purpose for knowing Him, everything balances out. Because you're not taking on things for the affirmation of others. Which is oftentimes what we do. We do things not because it's really a part of our purpose. We do it because we're concerned about what others might think. Or what the parents of, of my, 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 uh, my children's friends might think. Right? So we end up doing things and filling up our schedule and wearing ourselves out unnecessarily. That's not us. We're running to win. Come on. Say it. I'm running to win. I'm running to win. I have a clear and definite goal. Jesus Christ. I'm ordering my life to know Him more. Every decision I make with Him in mind. So that's what we're doing. We're ordering our lives to know Him more. So we're living differently. Now, interesting... This relationship that we have with Jesus, the very nature of it, of this relationship, it begins 
it continues and it progresses with submission unto Him. Because He's Lord. So everything we do is all with that reference point. He is Lord. In fact, Romans 9, uh, what I say, 10, 9 and 10, says that confessing Jesus as Lord brings the kingdom of God into your life. Brings God's salvation into your life. Makes your spirit new. Washes you clean. Jesus, Lord. What am I saying? I'm saying, Jesus, I willingly put my life under you. Every part of it. I now recognize that every 24-hour period that I have in front of me is yours. I realize that you are Lord, you're perfect, and I'm not. Show me what to do. How do you want me to spend my time? How do you want me to use the gifts you've put in me? How do you want uh, me to live? See? And this is a process. And he'll begin to speak to you. And guide you and direct you into the high life. The more than enough life. The abundant life. Where fear and worry no longer have a hold on you. But joy and praise are bubbling out of your heart. Did you know that submission to Christ will solve every conflict in your life with other people? Now, we're, uh, uh, Jennifer and I are enjoying our 18th year in our marriage. So in December, we'll be celebrating our 18th anniversary. And we have just had a wonderful time. We don't know how to spell divorce uh, <laughs> because God is so good. And I want to bring this up because there have been people who've commented and said, well, you guys just have that kind of personality. You just fit together. You know, you're, that's just, but we're different. Nothing could be farther from the truth. See, long before I was ever married, I gave my life to Jesus Christ. Now listen, I said, Jesus, you're my Lord. And I submitted my life to Him. And I realized what that meant. It means that, I, it means that I'm going to be changing a lot. I'm going to be changing a lot. I have a lot wrong with me, and I need to change a lot. Because I'm looking at Him, and He's perfect. I look at myself and say, Help! Help, Jesus! So I was used to the pain of change. Not, not living to get what I want. But daily saying, God change me. And sometimes that hurts. Because you've been holding on to desires that, that God has something better for you. And you've got to learn to let them go and say, God have your way in my life. So I had done that for years by the time, and Jennifer had done that. She had let the Lord change her. There were things that she was taught in the church she grew up that weren't biblically true. But she got to a point in her life and said, God, change me. Teach me your word. And when she read something in the, in the Mark, 
the historic precedent that was different than what she'd been told, she accepted that. And she changed. So when we entered into marriage, we were, all, we were changing continually. And see, marriage is all about submission. Submission to who? To Christ. So if the husband's submitting to Christ, and the wife is submitting to Christ, man, Selah. You can't have intimacy with Christ if you won't submit to Him. He's Lord. See? He's Lord. He's Lord. And that's a very good thing. There's no burden with that. There's no trepidation with that. There's no darkness with that. Knowing Him as Lord is the brightest light. is the greatest joy you could ever know. We're running to win. Right? Say it with me. I'm running to win. I have a clear goal. Knowing Christ more every day. I order my life to know Him more every day. In Jesus' name, amen. We're out of time. Let's pray. Father, we thank You so much for who You are and for all that You've done. Lord, change us. Your Lord, we're not. <laughs> The nature of our relationship with you is all about us changing. You're not into behavior modification. You're into transformation. You're into new creations. You're not trying to modify our behavior. That's man's psychology. You're transforming us and changing us from the inside out. You're letting your glory shine in us. You've made us brand new creatures in you. The old is gone. The new is coming. All these things are from you. Thank you, Lord. The very nature of our relationship with you is us changing and you staying the same. You're the same yesterday, today, and forever. So we just realize that right now. We've got to change. (laughs) It's not a shock. It shouldn't be. We need to change. Every day. Every day. We need to change. Every day. We're changing in the morning. Changing in the noonday. We're changing in the evening. We're changing at bedtime. We're changing by you. We're not doing it in our own strength. We're doing it by your grace. We're allowing you to work in us all that you desire to do. Thank you, Lord. We're running to win. To know you more every day. 